we've been going through the holy history. The theme for this series is found in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 11. It says, these things happened to them as examples for us and were written down for our instruction upon whom the end of the ages have come. All of these events that took place with Israel in the Old Testament are not just history, they're his story. It's God's interaction and intervention in human history. God's plan to bring the whole earth to himself, to bring all the people of the earth to be a part of his kingdom. Okay, so do you guys know what today is? It's Sunday. That's good. It's not a holiday, though, is it? No? What's the date today? August 28th. What uh, number month is August? Eight. So today is 828. Does anybody know what Romans 828 says? Well, there's several different translations that I've memorized. The New American Standard Bible says it this way. God causes all things to work together for the good of those. Everybody's good? No. For the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. Do you love God? Kids? Levi's confused. He's missing a crayon. Called according to his purpose. What is his purpose? His purpose is to make us more like Jesus, and that prepares us for heaven. Jesus is the only begotten Son of God. And so as a result, if we're going to go to heaven, and not everybody's going to go to heaven. Not everybody wants to, to be honest with you. Now, there's not another good place to go, but you got to love God or you're not going to like heaven at all. You're going to hate it, okay? And this idea that, well, everybody's just going to go to heaven after they die is nonsense because then heaven would be pretty hellish. The world's getting pretty bad right now because people are not living right. If heaven was that, then what's the point, right? No, God, this is not a perfect world. I'm sure if you're anything like me, um, you have asked the question, why is all this stuff happening? And, you, it, you know, it's not just today's politics and challenges. This is at any point in time. And, of course, now we get news from all over the world. So the worst things that happened in the far corners of the globe you hear about. And that makes us think that everything is just worse than it's ever been. The reality is it's not worse than it's ever been. Anytime people don't pay attention to God and his commandments, then they start living life the way they want to live life. And that's what we're going to get into next. I was going to do it this Sunday, but I'm going to wait. Um, uh, the book of Judges, we're just we're not going to hit all the stories in Judges. We're, we're going to hit an overview, and, and I don't know how many of the stories. Um, but everybody was just doing whatever they wanted to do in Judges. And it was miserable, and it was a mess. And in our country today, everybody is just doing whatever they want to do, and it's getting more and more miserable. It's becoming a mess, right? It's driving everybody uh, batty. It's, I was just talking to someone earlier, and uh, he mentioned something that I have heard from several people and that I can confess to as well, that it's getting harder to remember stuff. Is, is anybody memory challenged right now? I, you know, I was telling Pastor Craig earlier after mentioning that comment um, that when I was a kid, I knew everybody's phone number by heart. Anybody else just knew everybody's phone number by heart? I didn't write them down. 
I didn't have to write anything down. I just, you know, they said it and okay, now I memorized it. Now, of course, you know, when you're younger, you should be able to, your, your brain is fresh. No, I know, I know, you, your brains are, the, the reason why is because we're so distracted and we're also relying on our devices to store that stuff for us, right? So as the result, uh, our memories are not as good. But I'm going to say that I think stress, ongoing stress, really, really factors into that. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to try to play, uh, you know, amateur psychologist up here today. But I will say that I think that the amount of stress that people perceive themselves to be under is greater, perhaps, than it has been, at least in my lifetime. Um, and, you know, I've spoken about those of you that have families and you have kids. Listen, that's always been stressful, but for some reason it's more stressful today, all right? So we have larger families represented in our community, you know, four, five, six kids, smaller families represented in our community, you know, one or two kids. Do you realize that, you know, in the early 20th century, it was common for people to have like a dozen children? And for mom to get up at the crack of dawn and start cooking and cleaning and just do that all day long, that's all they did. And we think we're so much, you know, more stressed than it's our perception of it. And it's the world that, that's going on around us. You see, they didn't have the news on all the time, constantly beaming stuff into their heads. Okay, they're just out on the farm. So the only thing you had to worry about were these kids. The other thing is they didn't have this division of values that we have. There was, and they, this isn't to say that all the values in the early 20th century were great. I mean, maybe it gets overplayed and maybe I don't say it enough because it's overplayed, but there was a lot of racism in this country. So we want to go back to the 50s or the 40s or whatever, all oh, back in the good old days. Well, the good old days were not so good if you were a person of color. And that's just the truth, right? But there was a, an agreement, right? And in fact, this, this fundamental agreement in the Bible is what permitted uh, Martin Luther King Jr. to impinge on the consciences of America and say, no, you can't keep doing this. And people changed. Not everybody. I mean, you see all the, the things that happened in Alabama and so forth. But uh, I've heard it mentioned, and I, I would agree, that MLK would not have been able to accomplish uh, today what he accomplished in his day simply because there's not this fundamental agreement uh, you know, with values. I mean, you've got people that are way over on the right, and you know, they have certain things that they constantly promote, and you have people that are way over on the left and things that they constantly promote. Anytime something happens, I already know, and so do you, what people on the right are going to say and what people on the left are going to say. Don't you? Don't you automatically know? Right? As soon as, you know, Roe v. Wade was overturned, you knew what was going to happen, didn't you? You already knew. You either jumped into it or you didn't, but you already knew what was going to happen. Uh, student loan forgiveness, all right? You, you already know what's going to happen. I can't even have a, a reasonable discussion with anybody because it's, it's this or it's this. Listen, it took me till I was 54 years old to pay off my student loans. I wouldn't have minded if the government had kicked in 10 grand. But see, I'm also smart enough to realize that money's got to come from somewhere. So I don't, listen, man, if, if this is going to help you with your student loans, I don't begrudge you at all. 
but you and I need to realize that that money is coming from somewhere and that will affect these people right here. So see, I'm balanced here, okay? I am, man, I know a lot of people worked hard and tried hard and got some loans out and it's difficult and yeah. But see, I bring this up because it's, you automatically know what everybody's gonna, you know, to say. And so if I try to, you know, kind of stand in the middle and say, well, I understand what you're saying, but, 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 and I understand what you're saying, but, 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 people don't want to hear that. They just want to fight. <laughs> and this is why in previous eras in Washington, D.C., do you realize that Democrats and Republicans used to go out to dinner together? Right? The most right-leaning and the most left-leaning Supreme Court justices, all right, uh, Anton, Antonin, is that his name? Scalia, and uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Do you realize they were friends? They were as far to the right and to the left as you can possibly get on issues, and they were friends. And they respected each other. What happened to that? Gosh. So that's why there's so much stress, right? It's just this constant, ongoing fight, 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 okay? Um, so um, it's hard for us to pay attention. It's hard for us to think. It's hard for us to remember. Um, and that's a free sermon right there. Uh, <laughs> providence, okay? So why don't you say it after me? Say, God causes all things to work together for good for those who love God, for those who are called according to his purpose. I know I said it so slow and then you you all forgot. <laughs> we were talking about forgetting and I, I said it so slow that you forgot because you went, wait a minute, what? He did, he's already done? Oh, I don't know. There's something. I'll just... And no, I'm not mocking tongues, so get off it. All right. So providentially, I'm going to have to adjust my sermon today because we have the kids down here. And um, I had some stuff that would be uh, difficult to say with the kids in the room because I don't want them to have um, bad dreams, okay? Suffice it to say, when we get to that point, that um, Joshua led the generation that went into the promised land and destroyed the peoples of the land and took their cities. That sounds bad. I have always had trouble reading the book of Joshua. Read it. It's hard to take. And we can say God is sovereign and he is. That God can do what he pleases and we believe he's righteous Okay, but it's really hard to take when you see essentially genocide happening, okay, that happened with the Amalekites. And, and so we don't understand because we're coming from a different perspective. I'm not going to go into details. I sent Pastor Craig a link to this archaeological site, and I may bring it up uh, another time. But suffice it to say, the peoples of the land of Canaan were doing some horrific things. Specifically, they were doing horrific things related to human sacrifice. That's as far as I'm going to go with that, okay? Um, we need to understand that God had a purpose and God has a purpose, right? 
He had a purpose in choosing Israel and calling them out. He didn't choose Israel because they were more righteous than other people. He sovereignly chose them to be his people because of the faith of Abraham and the promise he made to Abraham that he was going to uh, become a blessing to all peoples, that his descendants would multiply like the stars of the sea, and that they would have that land. He chose the Joshua generation to remove the evil nations from Canaan. Joshua generation was a sword in the hand of the Lord. Now, anybody that's been to war is going to tell you that war is never good. There's nothing good about war. There is nothing good about what's going on in the Ukraine right now. Okay? Even when uh, I believe our nation was justified in going into Afghanistan, I do not believe we were justified in going into Iraq. We can fight over that if you want. Um, war is tragic. It's terrible. It's, it's horrific. That's why people come back from war with PTSD. What does PTSD stand for? because they've seen such traumatic, horrific things, which is also why I didn't want to go into the details with you that I was going to go into with these children present. I don't need to give them PTSD from a sermon, okay? (laughs) But suffice it to say, God chose Israel because that's what he wanted to do, not because they were more righteous. I I encountered this psalm this morning uh, in my reading, um, and this was, this was a, a song that they would have sung. The high praises of God shall be in their mouths and a two-edged sword in their hands to execute vengeance on the nations and punishment on the peoples, to bind their kings with chains and their dignitaries with shackles of iron, to execute against them the judgment written. This is an honor for all his godly ones. Praise the Lord. Well, we're just living in a different world, Okay. God used these people to execute judgment. And then when they turned away from God, he used other people to execute judgment on his own people. The Assyrians executed judgment in uh, the 8th century B.C. And then the Babylonians executed judgment in the 6th century B.C. Um, To back up what I just said about them not being more righteous than other people, but simply being chosen to do what God had called them, uh, listen to what Moses wrote to them in Deuteronomy. This is Deuteronomy 9, verses 4 through 6. I have my Bible up here, but it's faster for me to print the scriptures and read them than to keep looking them up in here. Do not say in your heart, when Yahweh your God has driven them away from you, these are the peoples of the land, Because of my righteousness, the Lord has brought me in to take possession of this land. Rather, it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is dispossessing them before you. It is not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart that you are going to take possession of their land, but it is because of the wickedness of these nations that Yahweh your God is driving them out from before you and in order to confirm the oath which Yahweh swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Know then that it is not because of your righteousness that Yahweh your God is giving you this good land to possess, for you are a stubborn people. So God gives good gifts, amen? These people needed to go in and possess the land, but it wasn't just because God was stealing land from these people so that these people could go in and take it. God was inflicting judgment, afflicting them with vengeance for the evil that they had done uh, to one another and specifically to their children. And again, I'm not going to go into detail. The Lord also chose Israel to be the example and to bring forth Messiah Jesus. That's what circumcision is about. So in review, 
where we've been and where we're going. God heard the cries of the house of Israel when they were in Egypt and he delivered them from slavery over and over again. That's what God says. I delivered you from Egypt. I am your God. You belong to me because he took them out of slavery. The Lord led them through the desert to the edge of the land of promise. And this is the land that he promised to give to Abraham. However, they still thought like slaves instead of the Lord's soldiers. They failed to trust God, even though he had proven himself with power miracle, powerful miracles in the wilderness over and over again. Eventually, they turned against God and they turned against Moses. They wanted to return to slavery in Egypt over and over. And these are, I, I hope that you're, you're beginning to pay attention to the Holy Spirit as he lays down this track for you to walk on and you can see how this exemplifies it. Just frankly, Egypt, slavery, that's living in the world and living in sin. That's what it is for you and me, okay? Redemption from slavery, redemption from Egypt, that's salvation. God buys you out of your slavery to the world, the flesh, and the devil, okay? And so every time we hear this, we should understand, when you say Jesus Christ is Lord, you are giving your life to him. He becomes the owner. He becomes the one that calls the shots, I'm not bringing Jesus in so I can get him to do my bidding, right? I am giving myself over to Jesus so that I can follow him. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Anybody that follows me will not walk in darkness. We got a lot of people wandering around in darkness today, or they're lighting their own little candles, okay? Um, the, that generation that refused to go in, that thought like slaves instead of soldiers, they died in the desert. Their children trusted and obeyed God and took the land of promise. And that's kind of where we've been the last couple of weeks. The Lord did more than set Israel free. He chose them to be in covenant with him. And that's what Mount Sinai and the Ten Commandments were about. Okay? You guys know about the Ark of the Covenant, right? Big gold box, basically, with rings on the sides so that Poles could be slotted in those rings, and the priests could carry that box everywhere they went. It went before the people of Israel. When they, they brought down the walls of Jericho, they were told to march around the, wall, the, the, the outside of Jericho once a day for six days, and then seven times on the seventh day and blow trumpets and the walls would fall down, and they did fall down. And by the way, I had a professor that had an interesting theory about that based on the archaeological evidence, but I won't go into it right now because I don't know that your patience is there. Um, but in any event, the walls did fall down. The people of Jericho were horrible. Catherine Kenyon was uh, the person to excavate Jericho in the 1950s, and she discovered signs of child sacrifice in Jericho. It was horrific. These were horrible people. And God sent his people in because he promised the land to them, and he's going to get rid of these peoples who are doing horrible things to one another and to their kids. Okay? That's what it was, uh, that's what it was about. So um, they did go in. They did march around the walls of Jericho, but in front of them always was this box. They're marching around, and the priests have got this box. That's weird, isn't it? I mean, to us anyway, go in front of us with the gold box. But what was in the box? The Ten Commandments. That was the condition of their covenant with God. 
You shall have no other gods before me. You're not going to make any idols. You're not going to misuse my name. You're going to observe the Sabbath and keep it holy. You're going to honor your father and mother so that you will live long on the earth. You're not going to kill. You're not going to commit adultery. You're not going to murder. You're not going to bear false witness. And you're not going to covet what other people have. Where did that go? I can remember in the, the 90s and the 2000s, at all these courthouses all over the country that had the Ten Commandments, monuments of the Ten Commandments. There was a guy named Judge Roy Moore who had this huge Ten Commandments out in the front of the courthouse, and the guy got in trouble, and everywhere they're trying to get rid of the Ten Commandments. We don't want to hear that. Because in our generation, every man does what, what is right in his own eyes, and they don't recognize any authority but their own. And that's what was going on in the book of Judges as well, Okay. But they carried those Ten Commandments in front of them everywhere because it was a reminder, this is what we need to obey in order to continue to belong to the Lord, right? So God called his people to be holy. What does that mean to you when you hear the word holy? Is that a positive, have a positive connotation to you or does it have a negative connotation to you? I bet there are some of you that it has a negative connotation, like as in holier than thou sanctimonious, self-righteous, that kind of thing. Or holy, maybe you come from a church uh, environment from your childhood where holy meant uh, the women had to wear skirts below their knees and no makeup and you weren't allowed to play cards and you weren't allowed to go to movies and that was considered holy, okay? Now, those practices were understandable. Baptists for years wouldn't dance, And if you've ever been to a dance nowadays, you can understand why they might have a beef with that. It's not talking about dancing like, you know, Shiloh does down here. Or dancer, wherever she went, there she is, right there. Okay, Annalie. And man, they're dancing unto the Lord. No, they're talking about the kind of dancing that probably many of you in this room have observed. It ain't good, okay? They were trying to be holy, but if you do that yourself, it starts being very, very judgmental. Um, It's, uh, I talked about, I think Wednesday, I talked about a religious spirit, and this can just have this horrible effect. I'm going to talk this next Wednesday, uh, coming from 2 Corinthians, uh, about being under the spirit rather than being under the letter, okay? And, you know, There can be a tendency, especially when somebody like me preaches a sermon like this, to think, well, okay, well, you need to obey those Ten Commandments and do what's right, and that's all that matters. Well, that's not all that matters. That's going to help you to understand that if I'm going to follow Jesus, I'm going to be a righteous person, okay? The people of Israel were called to be holy because they belonged to God. He said, I brought you out of Egyptian slavery. You're going to be holy, That means you're separate from these other people. Okay. The kids, you've been doing really, really good so far. Are you more like other kids or unlike other kids? Unlike? Yes. More like? See, the professor is thinking this all out. I'm telling you, he's going to be a professor. He's, he is. It's, I don't know because there's different types of kids. It's not just one. That's true. There, there, there's, there's, there's so, 
God has called you to be his. What did you say, Levi? There's different types of kids. Okay, that's good. Some kids are like you and some kids are not like you. Okay, he's going to go into a long dissertation on this one, and y'all can't hear him. If I had a microphone, I'd let you hear him. He's a very interesting little dude. Um, what I'm trying to say is there's a lot of pressure when you're these kids age, and it, I think that it, it hits its apex when you're a teenager, to be like a particular group. Now, they mention what is valid. There are different groups. Just like I mentioned earlier, they're different political groups. But, you know, people just blank their brain, right? Back in the day, uh, we used to have cassette tapes. You know what a cassette tape is? And so instead of doing what we're doing right now where we live stream and you can watch it later or whatever, you would buy a tape of the sermon, okay? And they would have tapes of sermons that... You know, maybe they didn't sell previously or people didn't take them, but they wanted to reuse those tapes. So they had a very, very special electronic device and you would, you had to plug it in and you would put it over the top of the cassette tape, which a cassette tape is about the size of my hand. You put it over the top of the cassette tape and you'd press a button and it made this sound. And I think the sound might've been there just so you know it was working. But what it did is it sent a strong magnetic signal through that magnetic tape and erased it. And that's what's happening every, with everybody today. Huh? Right, I don't remember that. So there are different people, okay? You may be like these people or you may be like these people, but listen, we're God's people. God's people are called to be holy and we're called to be like Jesus, amen? And the beauty of that is, I can be like Jesus, Jubilee can be like Jesus, Felix can be like Jesus, Magdalena can be like Jesus, and we're still unique. That's how big Jesus is. But what it doesn't mean is I make up my own truth, Jubilee makes up her own morals, Felix makes up his own morals. No, that's not the way it works. Okay? We're called to be holy, and that means we're called to be like Jesus. These people were called to be holy. They were set apart. In fact, that's what it says. And if you pick up a bulletin and give me feedback, uh, that's what it says in Leviticus 19.2. God says, speak to all the congregation of the sons of Israel and say to them, you shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. All right? And let's, uh, let's take a look at how that hits us, okay? Um, in 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 18, it says, do not be mismatched with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and lawlessness share together? Or what does light have in common with darkness? What harmony does Christ have with Belial? That's a, another name for the devil. Or what does a believer share in common with an unbeliever? Or what agreement does the temple of God have with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, just as God has said, I will dwell among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from their midst and be separate. Kids, don't just be like other kids. Follow Jesus. 
Let those other kids follow you as you follow Jesus. Okay? I don't just line up behind this um, and just say, you know, ditto what, what they said. Okay? I, you know, I don't even have to think about it. I just repost what everybody says. You know, my tribe. This is what my tribe says, so I'm going to repost that. You know, there's some nuance here. There's some things to think about. We could really learn from one another if we would have actual conversations instead of yelling at each other and posting memes. But what I need to do is I need to follow Jesus right down the center of the road, not veering far to the right, not veering far to the right, but following Jesus. That's what it means to be holy. So we identify with particular people. When we're younger, it works naturally and normally if we have good parental figures and we can identify with our parents, identify with our mom, identify with our dad right? When we get older, we look outside of our home and we see other people that serve as role models for us, heroes for us, and we identify with them. The problem is some of our heroes are not such good role models. They're more like fashion models. And you don't need to be following a fashion model. You need to be following a good role model. The apostle Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. I'll be honest with you, any of us, don't follow or listen to anybody that's not listening to Jesus. Now, when I say listen, I don't mean don't hear them out. You know, I, I'm not saying close your mind off and don't have conversations with people. But I'm saying we fill our minds and we fill our hearts with a bunch of secular, ungodly garbage. And it pulls away from what God is trying to say to us in his word. And it literally, it changes us and not in good ways. We need to know who we are. And in order to realize that, you've got to know whose you are. To know who you are, you need to know whose you are. Scripture says, but you are a chosen people. Say, we're chosen. You're a holy nation. Say, we're holy. A people for God's own possession. Say, we belong to God. So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as foreigners and strangers, that's on the earth, to abstain from fleshly lusts, that's desires that are not of God, which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the peoples, among the Gentiles, so that in the thing which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good, uh, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God on the day of his visitation. Amen? Know whose you are, and you will know who you are, and you will not be a part or a party of the evil that's going on in our world. You don't call the shots. You call Jesus Lord. How many of you would say Jesus is Lord? Yes? Okay. Obey him, not the culture. Obey him, not the author of some book, whether they claim to be a Christian author or not. Become more like your Lord Jesus. Uh, I mean, I, you know it. If you look around you, there's a great apostasy underway. And it was prophesied. What are you, you don't know what the word apostasy means, perhaps. Okay? It means a falling away, a great falling away. 
but it was prophesied. Listen to what it says in 1 Timothy. This is the Apostle Paul writing his protege, Timothy. But the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons by means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. And then also, this is regarding that, that falling away and that apostasy. Um, let me find my page here. I need page seven and I'm not finding it. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go to that actual scripture, which is in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Aren't you glad I brought my Bible up here? He's so unprofessional. We're not coming back to this church. He should have had that on his notes. And now he can't even find 2 Thessalonians. I can. But Timothy is too long. There's 2 Thessalonians. So have you ever thought about whether this is like the end of time that we're living in right now? Right? Is this the end times? Now, we ask you, brothers and sisters, regarding the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together with him, you realize the end times are the harbinger of the return of Christ. What do I mean? End times equals Jesus is coming back for his people. He says, so regarding the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering to him, that you not be quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed either by a spirit or a message or a letter as if from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Oh, Jesus already came back. He just secretly came back. No one is to deceive you in any way for it will not come. That is the return of Jesus will not come. Now I want you to listen. There's a huge falling away going on today. It was prophesied. Unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. Sometimes we call the man of lawlessness the man of sin. What are some other names? The beast, the antichrist, a world leader that will rise up and try to rival Jesus this man of lawlessness, this man of sin, opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying his, himself as being God. All I wanted to present there was the reality that a huge falling away is going to happen before Jesus comes back. There's a realignment going on. There's a purification happening right now. You got one foot on the dock, and one foot on the boat, and the boat is moving away from the dock. So you're either going to step out and get back on the dock and not follow Jesus into the water, or you're going to step off into the boat and follow Jesus into the wind and the waves, or you're going to fall in the water, right? Even if you can do the splits like a superior martial artist, you're eventually going to fall into the water, okay? There is a fine line that is being drawn, and we're being asked to choose a side. It, there was a time when Christianity was the cultural norm. That is no longer the case and hasn't been for quite a while. And I know there's a lot of argumentation about whether the United States is a Christian nation. Let me just help you. 
It was once founded on Judeo-Christian principles. It is not even close to a Christian nation right now. We need to repent. Now, I'm not going to become a politician. I am not for Christian nationalism. I'm a Baptist. I think the government needs to stay out of the church, and the church needs to stay out of the government unless they're just going to be elected officials serving people and loving people. You may like that or you may not like that. Right? I do believe in separation of church and state. Hardcore. I don't want teachers leading these kids in prayer. Who knows what teach, where they're coming from? Right? There's all kinds of, you know, people that have all sorts of ideas. I don't want them. I want these kids coming here and learning about Jesus at their church. And I want, I want them learning about math and geography and those sorts of things at school. I want them encountering Christian teachers like Rachel, Christian principals like Craig, and being able to say, oh, man, I like the way that person treats me. I like the way that person lives. You should be able to be outspoken about your faith. It doesn't mean you're bridging the, the separation of church and state or going uh, on the other side of that wall. As long as you're not proselytizing, you're just seeking to be salt and light to those kids. That's what we're called to be. I want us to live in a country where the gospel is permitted to be preached. The gospel will do just fine in the marketplace of free ideas, but the left doesn't want you to be able to say anything. Have any of you gotten your posts deprioritized on Facebook? <laughs> They'll do it. Okay, or have your post just booted to the side altogether on Facebook? Hey, they just now put the, the Bible, I think it was Keller Schools, they're uh, evaluating their library, and they put the Bible on the suspect list, and they pulled it off the shelves. Not that kids are checking out the Bible. You know, that, that's the thing. People say, you know, no, we need to put prayer back in schools. Prayer never got taken out of schools. Jubilee, can you pray at school? Yeah, nobody can tell you whether you can pray. You don't have to pray out loud, do you? No, I do it every morning during the silence. Amen. Yeah. During the, the moment of silence? Yeah. But do you stand on your desk and say, Dear Lord, <laughs> I pray that you will save these pagans in my class. You don't do that? Okay, that's good. Shiloh might like that, though. He's, yeah. He, he probably would. You probably would. That's not what we want, okay? I want a free country where I am capable of preaching the gospel and loving people, and I want you to make up your own mind. As I said last week, I don't want to be the persuader. I want the Scripture to persuade you. I want the Holy Spirit to convict you. This isn't a cult. I don't want you to join the, the Holy Church of Daryl or something, all right? because I'm going to lead you astray sooner than later. I'm just a big old fat hypocrite, getting fatter, right? I try to live right, and I try to live holy, and I'm preaching this message to me. We're called out from the world. Final thing, and Ben, you can start making your way up here. That's what church means. Our word church comes from the German Kirche, and that refers to a building. See, by the time uh, the Germans were exposed to the Bible, there were plenty of church buildings all over the place, so they said, that's a church. And some people are like that today. They say, oh, that's a church over there. Now, this building doesn't look like a church, so people go, huh? Yeah. But there's several First Baptist, 
First Methodist, First Presbyterian down here, Christian church. They look like churches. So you say, oh, that's a church. But you and I know that that's not a church, right? Say, we're the church. See, in Greek, the, the term is ekklesia. It comes from two words. Ek, which is a preposition that means out. And kaleo, which is the word to call. We are called out from the world to worship the one true God. That is in our protocol, right? That's in our statement of faith as a church. That's in our mission statement. We're called out of the world to worship the one true God. So do you act just like everybody in your set, your political set, your economic, your SES, whatever? Or are you independent-minded enough to where even if you're not buying everything I'm saying, you'll weigh it and you'll think about it seriously? Because that's all I'm asking you to do. Follow the Spirit as He leads you.